Welcome to our worship from Seal Church, led by me, Canon Anne Labar. The hymn which ends the service is sung by the choristers of St Martin in the Fields. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, we beseech you mercifully to hear the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may both perceive and know what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to fulfil them, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the letter of James, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is, is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. A reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. 
In the name of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. What were you arguing about on the way? asks Jesus of his disciples. An awkward silence follows. No one answers. But it turns out that Jesus already knows. And maybe that's no surprise, because in a sense, every argument is really about who is the greatest, as theirs has been. It almost defines the difference between a discussion and an argument. In a discussion, we may have different views, but we're open to listening to and learning from each other. It becomes an argument when we feel we just want to win, whether we're right or wrong, whatever the facts are. There's an old folk tale that's told about two villages which stood on opposite sides of a long valley. One day a stranger appeared, going who knows where, who knows why, walking down the length of the valley. He was wearing a coat which was blue on the right side and red on the left. Later on, one of the people from one village was talking to a villager from the other. Did you see that chap in the fine blue coat walking down the valley earlier? Blue coat? What do you mean, blue coat? His coat was red. I saw it with my own eyes. Neither of them would back down. Each insisted that they were right. And pretty soon the squabble had spread to the rest of the villagers. One village insisted the coat was blue, the other swore blind it was red, even though most of them hadn't even seen the stranger. Eventually the argument turned to fighting, and the fighting turned to war. And within months the villagers had destroyed each other. Nothing was left but smoking ruins. Soon afterwards, wherever it was the stranger had been going, for whatever reason... He appeared again, going back the way he'd come, along the length of the valley, walking in the other direction, still wearing his coat of blue and red. But this time, of course, the red side was facing the village that had insisted that the coat was blue, and the blue side was facing the village that had sworn it was red. But no one was around to see it any more. I don't know where that powerful, sad little tale originated, but I recognise the dynamics in it. The problem with arguments is that they're rarely about what they say they're about. What difference did it make whether the coat was red or blue? None. All that mattered was who won, who came out on top, who got the upper hand, who was the greatest, in other words. It was the same with Jesus' disciples. He'd been talking about the coming kingdom of God and they assumed it would just be a bigger, better version of the kingdoms they were familiar with. King Jesus on the throne with a charmed circle of courtiers around him, his right and left hand men sharing in the power and the privilege. The courts they knew about of King Herod or the Roman emperors, were places where people constantly had to jostle for favour and influence, to manipulate and manoeuvre to keep their place. Losing it could mean losing everything, even your life. And they couldn't quite imagine that the kingdom of God would be any different. Jesus had tried to tell them that it wouldn't be like that. 
He tried to tell them that very soon the only people on his right and left hand would be a pair of thieves and their thrones would be crosses. But his warnings of betrayal, arrest and death sound like failure and weakness to them. How can they be part of God's plan? He tries to tell them that greatness in his kingdom will be defined by service, not by power and glory, but they don't want to hear it. How can a powerless servant be great? Jesus' response to their confusion is simply to sit down and to summon a little child to his side. A child who happened to be wandering in or around the house in Capernaum. We don't know whose child it was, and that's the point. He chose an anonymous toddler, vulnerable, helpless, needy, with nothing to give. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name, he says, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Welcome, 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 welcome. Four times Jesus uses that word in this one sentence. But what does welcome have to do with the disciples' squabble about greatness? Why does Jesus think welcome is so crucial? If it doesn't seem obvious to you, then you're not alone. I had to ponder long and hard as well. I thought about what it felt like to welcome someone else, especially someone needy like a small child. And it occurred to me as I pondered that if we're going to welcome someone into our homes, our hearts, our lives, we first need to feel confident that we have the space and the resources to do so. We don't invite someone to lunch if we think we haven't even got enough food for ourselves. We think twice about asking someone how they are if we feel we might not have the time or the emotional energy to listen to the answer. Welcoming people means opening ourselves up to the risk that they might demand something of us, that they might change or challenge us. And we won't want to do that if we're feeling insecure about ourselves, unsure that there are enough resources to go around. Instead, we put up the barriers, pull up the drawbridge, or come out fighting to defend what we have. We can see this at work all the time, in our personal lives, in our families and communities, and on a national and international level. James is spot on in his first reading today. Where do conflicts and disputes come from, he asks. Do they not come from cravings within you? In other words, from our fear that there isn't enough to go around, that there's a need for security and love in us which might not be met. James doesn't just analyse the problem, though. He also suggests the solution, and it's rooted in our attitude to God. You do not have, he says, because you do not ask. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Most of us will only ask for things if we believe that the person we're asking has what we need and cares about us enough to give it to us. It's the same with God. It's only when we've understood that he really does love us and that his welcome to us is unconditional and indestructible that we can feel secure in him, able to be ourselves 
needs and all. It's only when we realise that God has unlimited space in his heart to welcome us into that we can welcome others. We don't need to compete for his attention. We don't need to put others down or drive them away. There's no danger of the well running dry if the well is God. Jesus tells many stories about the limitlessness of God's resources. He's like a sower who has so much seed that he can afford to scatter it everywhere, even if some of it falls on the path or among the thorns or rocks. Or he's like a shepherd who doesn't need to think twice about searching for one lost sheep or do a cost-benefit analysis to find out whether he can justify the risk and the trouble. Or he's like a father who welcomes back the son who's wasted his inheritance without stopping to think that he might do the same all over again with anything else he gives him. There's no shortage or scarcity in God so we don't need to worry about whether we are the greatest in his eyes. We don't need to compete for his favour. We don't need to strive for worldly possessions or power or fame to make ourselves feel worthwhile, because we're infinitely worthwhile to him. There's nothing we can do to earn his love or to lose it. There's no less for us if he gives it to others too. We don't need to push others out so that there's room for us. Like that small child Jesus takes in his arms, we don't have to prove our usefulness to him to ensure that we're safe in his affection. Living in the light of that knowledge transforms our relationship with God, giving us a security which nothing can shake, not even death. But that, in its turn, can also transform our relationship with one another enabling us to lay down our weapons, make space to listen to each other and, perhaps, find the peace which the whole world needs. Amen. And so, as we bring our prayers to God, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.